At sunrise, on a 1st of April, there appeared, suddenly, as Manco Capac at the Lake Titicaca, a man in cream colors at the waterside in the city of St. Louis. His cheek was fair, his chin downy, his flaxen hair, his white fur, one, with a long fleecy nap. He had neither trunk, valise, carpet bag, nor parcel. No porter followed him. He was unaccompanied by friends. From the shrug shoulders, titters, whispers, wonders of the crowd, it was plain that he was, in the extremest sense of the word, a stranger. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Tuesday, May 9th, and today, with owls on my brain still, we'll continue our initiation with a synchromistic, Jordan Barty, and in typical 42 minutes fashion, we'll be meeting him together. I first became aware of Jordan about a month ago when I came across his synchromistic film, Initiation. So, uh, with that in mind, how are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Did I butcher your last name? No, you absolutely nailed it, actually, which is somewhat rare, so... Good job. (laughs) Well, thanks. Um, And before we proceed, I need to make an announcement that in Chicago, on the on the anniversary of the screening of The Shining, there'll be um, Paul Wendell Obis and John Fell Ryan will be presenting The Shining forwards and backwards. I believe on. May 23rd. We're going to have a show really soon about that with more details. But if you're in that area, I just want to perk you up um, so that you have an awareness of this. But so with that, anyway, the first question is, where did your video go, Jordan? Where did, where did my video go? Where did it go? It disappeared off, off YouTube. Oh, it's it's uh, it disappeared for like an hour while I uploaded it. A, a corrected version. <laughs> hopefully, it's it's hopefully it's back there. Okay. Uh, okay. Also, it's it's also up on the Apathenia Productions Vimeo page and also on my own Vimeo page. There are three places. Okay. Hopefully, to view it. Excellent. So, but so then, the, how did you find Mysticism? What inspired you? And then, you know, what was what prompted you to make this video called Initiation? Yeah. Uh, that's like a huge question. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I'm very, very new. I, I just sort of um, uh, stepped through the portal, I guess you'd say, uh, like six months ago. Okay. Uh, before that, I, I, I uh, synchronicity was, I mean, I'd heard of it and it was something I was like a little bit interested in, but uh, it really wasn't until the last half year that I really started to get deeply into it and it uh how exactly that happened is like a pretty long story but it started with an art project i was trying to write a book and as i was writing this book i I started to notice that my my life was starting to kind of organize itself around certain themes in the book in a in a very strange way you know in a way that um i couldn't just explain as 
chance or some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy or, you know, there were sort of sort of outside elements that were constellating in a way that um, suggested something deeper going on. And then from there I started, or I guess I should say writing the book was happening in parallel with this rediscovery of, of John Carpenter films. I really was into John Carpenter in like my early twenties and as a teenager and I was starting to get back into these movies, but now I was, you know, I was seeing different stuff in them. And, and then that sort of formed this chain that eventually led to all of the Indiana Jones stuff and et cetera, et cetera. And eventually I found you guys, which was a gigantic, uh, relief, you know, because it's like when, when you start seeing this stuff and, and connecting with these patterns, it feels a little bit like you're developing a psychosis at least in the early stages of it. That's how it felt for me. And uh, the first thing that kind of put a, that sort of um, eased my anxiety a little bit was discovering, or rather getting, getting deeper into, for, for the first time in my life, Jungian psychology and seeing in Jung's story, his sort of life story, I mean, um, a reflection of my experience that made me say, okay, there are like other nervous systems that have experienced this stuff. And then to, to connect with ThinkBook and, uh, and discover, you know, all the great shit that's out there. Like I remember the first time I came across Jake Coetzee's blog and really was like, okay, there are, there's a contemporary community of people working with this stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, and it was and remains like an incredibly exciting uh, thing for me. Did you feel like you were writing and being written at the same time so that as you were composing this? Yes. Um, I, I felt, well, I had different interpretations of it at different times. I mean, maybe first I should say something about the, this book, which I, I actually, I don't know if I'm still working on the book or not. At some point I kind of made this hard left turn into doing the, the video, uh, which which happened after I watched uh, um, Sorry, Cassandra, I Misunderstood, Everything Predicts 9-11. When I saw that video, it was like, I was like, what am I doing trying to write a fucking book? Like, clearly I need to work directly with the visual material, right? But uh, when I started writing the book, it was like, a, it was like this academic thing. It was just like a, like a sort of a, a musicological text, I, I guess, about this, this band that I'm really into. And, and then, and then I, I started sort of having, I mean, I didn't know it yet. I wouldn't have said this at the time, but I was starting to have to experience like syncs with this music that I was analyzing. What's the music? Uh, One O Tricks Point Never, which is the alias of a, a guy named Daniel Lopatin. Um, he's an electronic musician, mostly instrumental stuff. And, uh, uh, his last record is, is called Garden of Delete, which he abbreviates to God. And the whole record was kind of put together as part of like an exploration of his, basically his like shadow self. Like if you listen to him talk about it in interviews, it's like he was really narrowing in on kind of childhood anxieties and traumatic teenage experiences and things like this and trying to kind of exercise those demons, I guess, in a way. Uh, but so I was writing about 
that, and I was writing about, I was trying to pull in like bits of systems theory and, and information theory and, and stuff, because it's also like this strong current in his work. And eventually I, eventually I realized that, that, I, that the music was connecting to these like really, these much bigger philosophical themes. And so then it became like this larger academic thing. And then eventually that, that stuff started to heat up and get so weird that it, that it was like, well, now it's a novel. <laughs> so it did this complete like transformation from this academic thing into like something with characters and a plot line. But the plot was sort of about uh, simulations or people who are actually living in some kind of a construct, but they don't know it and, you know, et cetera. And so, so it, it figured that this issue itself, right. Of like feeling like, the world is story-like or game-like somehow. And then that started to manifest in my actual life. And at, at certain times, I felt like I was writing myself, like I was sort of reprogramming my, myself in some way or, or reprogramming the, the world in some way, or my perception of it at least. But then it, but then it also, you know, there are moments where it, it seems to break out of that even, and it's, it's connected to something much... I don't know. I'm more abstract on the one hand, but, but also sort of more, um, cosmic, you know, like who's writing me writing myself. Right. That, that sort of, right. sort of thing. <laughs> well, so I'm wondering as you got, you started going down this rabbit hole, what, yeah, what were you reading? So did you, did you read Jung and then did you brush up yeah, against yeah. A, a guy named uh, Jeffrey Kripal? Because he's really, yes. yeah, yeah. Kripal, Kali's child. Great, great stuff, yeah. And but so was this um, all in the last six months that you discovered all this? Yeah. Stuff? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, uh, well. Uh, so I would say I've had a lifelong relationship to the paranormal. That that goes back deep into my childhood, and I spent a, a period of time in my twenties, kind of kind of running away from it. And and this whole thing has been part of trying to sort of uh, embrace this aspect of myself, which is that sort of anomalous experiences happen to me and they've happened to me for, you know, a long time. Um, and I, you know, various things started to sort of fall into place in my life where I was, I just, I was no longer satisfied with the kind of, Oh, well, weird shit happens explanation. Like I wanted to get to the, to the bottom of it. So it, it, it was a very, um, personal and intense drive to to start to get some and not answers exactly but but to a, at least develop some kind of a framework that would allow me to be comfortable with and integrate these experiences like back into my life so i was very um rapidly reading stuff and and, and consuming information I, i'm doing a little bit less of that now i think i'm now i'm trying to sort of pull it all together and uh uh, I'm, I'm, I've sort of scrapped the, you know, it's funny. I wrote like hundreds of pages for this book, but, uh, I think I'm sort of putting that on ice to try and try and condense it down into some kind of a written piece that can ex start to explain some of this stuff, but in a, but maybe in a more accessible way or something. And, and that's only possible once you've like really sat with a, ton of material and, and started to sort of put it together in a, 
in a high level way. Um, so I, I maybe I maybe don't read super like if you were to sort of quiz me on like precise details from this stuff, I might not be able to to answer because I'm also reading in a very um, sort of sort of power ready kind of <laughs> kind sure. of way to try to yeah right. Well, so I'm curious about the nature of media anyway because it seems like yeah. synchromysticism definitely is for the most part kind of a visual art where right it's it's easy to take just the chunks uh and archetypes and just synchronicity that is clearly permeating our lives through through uh film tv just vi the visual medium that it just is so immediate but I think maybe in like the 19th century or early 20th century, you know, it really was people like James Joyce that were able to bring together disparate elements, all, right. you know, in, in these works of fiction. And so I definitely think there is a place for literature, but I wonder, do you think you, you, you have the drive to finish a book or? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I guess I, sh I should say that, that my I have like a like a real academic background. I did the whole higher education thing, and and so there's this whole uh, you know like you don't you don't get through a, a PhD without it wiring your brain in a certain way. Did you get through a PhD? I did. Yeah. And do you um, have a what do you have your PhD in? Uh, it's well. It's in sort of a sort of a bullshit field. It's in it's in electronic music, but it was uh, it's still this very um, you know they expect a certain rigor. Well, it's it, about it's, jumping it's, through their hoops. Like you demonstrate that you yeah. can follow directions <laughs> at every step of higher or any type uh, of. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it, it is. It is largely about that. Um, um, but it's it's also very verbally orienting. You know, because because the ultimate thing is you're trying to produce this dissertation or whatever. Well, you have to, and, uh, right? But because it's you're in an artistic field, it's you're not only creating, but then you're able you're you're forced to explain how and why yes. you created to. That's right. Right to the people that are going to say yes, you you pass, or no, you don't pass. You did not explain well enough. You, you know exactly what you're doing. Totally. Yeah, and that's that's something that I've that causes me a little bit of worry about about this film actually. Uh, I mean, not that not that there's even anyone out around who would care, I guess. But but it's sort of like how much would I want to explain about it? You know, because I could I could give an incredibly thorough like it was very intensely architected and I I packed a lot into it, but. But I also wanted to design it a, a little bit as like a puzzle that that doesn't give itself all all away at once, you know. And uh, but but I also really enjoy picking things apart, and I have a you know a natural inclination to like to do like very um, orderly academic sort of sort of constructing these like systems of thought, right? That are really internally consistent, and and let's like a sort of a sort of an interest of mine. Uh, and so I, I feel like, 
I feel like I'm going to write something about sync. It's inevitable. It's just figuring out what, you know, who am I writing it for and, and what is the, you know, because I don't, well, I don't know if that matters. I'll just tell you that. I think that if you're inspired, you just need to, you need to, it's, it's more, I found in, in all my years dealing with this stuff that the people who are best, the most successful, it's more of a practice where this is how they interact with the universe and the artistic is just the, it's almost like their, their snail shell or the pearl that the oyster creates because they can't help, but you know, do what it is that their practice prompts them to do. And the Absolutely. ones that worry about yeah. the audience too much, you end up thinking about it more like a product, and then it never, never happens. Yeah. See, that's that's always the problem for me with writing is that it my it is sort of mired in those concerns for me more than more than like the visual art. You know, with, with the visual art, I for, for some reason, you know, and this is obviously just some sort of self-imposed worldview thing or something but but for 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 some reason with with straight up art like visual art or music or whatever i feel licensed to kind of to do that to just just make it what it is and feel when it's right and and you know i'm completely not thinking at all about how it's received or whatever but i think because writing is connected to this academic world for me like it it just it it has this like cloud of worry about about accurate communication and and uh, and uh, you know audience and and all of that stuff which which is which is you know a problem obviously so so part of my challenge with with writing this stuff is to um, uh, figure out how to bracket my writing a little bit or or divorce it from that that sort of um, I don't know what you call it exactly. Too too um too too goal oriented of an approach or something. Yeah. It's it's funny how there are some things that we're that we it's almost like tricking ourselves. Like some things are easy to do and some things are hard to do. And right. I know like back in the blogging days, those were really even though that was a form of writing, it was really easy writing. It took a lot of time. And it was, uh, yeah, it was work, but it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of thing that you had to grit your teeth and, and do. Whereas for me, writing is more of that grit your teeth and really, it's almost like, uh, yeah. like I was, I studied music in college for a while and I don't know why it would be that practice would be so, so difficult, you know, but it it was right. it was for me. It was not something that was fun, and so it wasn't something that I wanted to do. But playing in a rock band and spending like totally. hours in a yeah. garage practicing, it was. It's like how do you trick yourself into doing the activity that is actually your passion? Yeah, yeah, it's a really funny paradox, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you you mentioned that your video is uh, posted at Apophenia Productions. Do you know Joe? Yeah. No, um, well, now I do a little bit. Um, uh, I, I messaged Joe and David on, on Facebook to be like, hey, I made this movie. It was like really inspired by what you guys did. And uh, so we just got to chatting about it, and they were very gracious in, uh, in letting me up- upload it to their account there to, to um, increase its uh, presence a little bit. So it's funny because 
when people when you when when you take in a new piece of synchromysticism, the problem with synchromysticism can be that a, a newbie realizes that everything's connected, and therefore they want to show like how everything's right. connected, and it just becomes psychotic because it's like, and this is connected to this, <laughs> right. and it's just connected to this, and you're like, no, you have to frame it somehow because we can't inhabit your brain. Yeah, <laughs> right. But so your numbers definitely. They were starting to throw me for a loop. It's like, oh, this guy, he might be crazy. But boy, the, it, <laughs> at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, it, there's a nice payoff with uh, with your numbers. Thanks, yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, I really enjoy it. And then you also introduce some new visual elements that I haven't seen before. So whenever someone, like synchromysticism as an art, you know, that is an expanding art form, it's interesting when people... Yeah introduce new ways of conveying you know various layers simultaneously it's like oh yeah that's that's nice yeah yeah well i, I gotta say like a, a lot of what i was doing in initiation was really inspired by this one particular spread in cassandra where it's like it's like that meatloaf song right and then like the terminator and then uh um 9-11 and and eventually like Donnie Darko gets pulled. And it's just like, it's like this tableau of stuff with these really subtle, um, both kind of formal visual connections, but, but also thematic substantive connections between the parts. And I just never, you know, I just never seen anything like that. And it really, it just totally captured my, you know, my, it was just really like, my brain was just like exploding on it. It was like, God, there's so much that you can, do with this form like and it's it's a form that's about i guess trans contextuality right it's like multiple things at the same time and and it's i don't know it 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 feeds into both a kind of like i wanted something that was moment to moment going to seem really kind of almost add like there's a ton of stuff happening like almost to the point where it just overloads your ability to receive it but but then to embed that in like a longer form structure that 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 yeah that has some kind of a kind of a payoff and I I thought that that was a really cool aspect I mean Cassandra's like seven and a half hours long right so it's like well so for our listeners who might not know about that could you explain what this is what is what is this Cassandra that you're talking about yeah well so it's this epic uh, uh, synchromistic film that. Uh, I mean, it's actually a little hard to, to, to describe it. Like it, it sort of opens with a William Blake quote and, uh, and then takes you through this, I don't know, like real kind of mystical journey into, into the nature of mind and reality and cinema. Um, it's also up on the Apophenia Productions uh, Vimeo page and, I, it's, it's a, it's, it's like I said, it's like it's nearly eight hours long, but it's really worth it to sit through the whole thing. And if you, if you're open to it and you let it kind of work its magic on your brain, uh, I, I have a hard time imagining that, that you won't have like a, some kind of an at least minorly transformative experience viewing it. So yeah, people should, should watch the crap out of it for sure. And so this is something that David made. 
Yes, yeah, that's right, David Plate. Okay. And then you just I, I think I think maybe he maybe he I mean, it uh, it involves a lot of work from from other people on like Joe's film is embedded in it. Um but yeah, David David's the mastermind. And then who did you bump into first, Joe or David? Like did you find like um like as, David, I think. Yeah, and then but what how I'm, when you approach that, what do you just like what is this? This is nuts. Well, I didn't. Appro- I didn't approach them until until I had something to share. No, but I, I, I mean, I in terms of like when you first stumble on something like that, like the, I, culturally, yeah. we are, we have this awareness of the dark side of the rainbow, you know, as a kind of a novelty thing. Right. But then to go that deep, it's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, for me, it was uh, for me it was really intense, uh, incredibly intense because a lot of what's conveyed in that film are, are things that I had kind of already put together. And so to, and so then to see it mirrored like that was a, uh, a huge, it was just, I can't describe what a, what an impact that was. Cause it was like, okay, like this isn't just, this isn't just the kind of a f- personal fantasy of mine or, or some kind of an escapist thing or, a, you know, there's, there is some degree of objectivity to this because other, other people are, you have been, you know, honing in, honing in on it. And, uh, and so it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly that it, I would say that, that the, that the form, the form of, of it blew my mind more than the content. Like I already had my mind blown by, by my own similar content. Right. Um, but it was seeing seeing somebody use image so powerfully, and and to and to develop an argument that's that subtle and complicated, so much so that if you ask me like what is the film about, it's it's hard to give like a you know, like a five minute elevator pitch version of it, right? It's a really complicated bunch of ideas, um, and he does it like almost completely in in quotation. You know, it's just bits of other films and, you know, crammed together in such a way that it, that it packs this deep, this deep informational payload. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed by it. How much of David and how much of David's work have you explored? Would you say that that is uh, his, honest, his honestly, masterpiece? Not a, not a ton. Okay. Um, not a ton. I, uh, I recently watched the, the full-length version of his uh, Poltergeist and E.T. sync, which was a total trip. Um, and I've, you know, I've seen some of his collage work and stuff, but I'm not uh, like super familiar. Um, from what I've seen, I'd say that Cassandra is his is masterpiece, but, but I, can't, I can't speak with any authority. <laughs> so it's, it's wonderful for people in the community to have someone see all this stuff with fresh eyes. Cause you know, we're, we're too familiar with David. We we're aware that this is what he does. And I would say it's kind of his practice. Like this is how yeah. he interacts with the universe is to just pair music and movies. And sometimes it seems like madness to me. It's like, I don't, I, I'm not seeing it. I don't know what, what you're finding, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, and then you hear someone else come to it with the fresh eyes and it's like, wow. You know, there is, 
really something there. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, so I'm curious, do you work in the music industry then? And then do you have, like, did you have to learn some of your editing? Was that all new stuff or is stuff that you use? Yeah. Um, so I work uh, sort of in the music. I design um, synthesizer modules for, for like modular synths. Um, so I've got a little tiny, basically one man company. I run out of my apartment um, building these basically, you know, really geeky electronic toys for <laughs> other people into geeky electronic toys. Um, do you want to plug this and try and sell what, what, you know, what you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sell, I sell them. Um, um, very small run kind of, um, we might make a hundred or 200 of a design or something. Um, but, uh, I'm actually trying to kind of get out of it now. Um, there's a, there's a Kickstarter that I still have some obligations uh, to that I need to tie up. And then after that, I'm, I think I'm going to try to move into something a little that lets me be a little bit more consistently creative because with the, with the electronics design, I mean, it's very, it's very left brainy, which I enjoy, but, uh, you know, I'm starting to feel a pull in my life <laughs> back towards, um, more, more rawly creative and intuitive, um, stuff that maybe doesn't involve sitting at a computer, designing circuits and writing code for, you know, all day, every day kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, uh, it is definitely tangentially related to the, to the music industry, but the, the, um, the stuff that I design is actually pretty video focused. And if you know, there's like, there's this whole like video synthesis thing kind of happening right now with, uh, basically like synthesizer modules that produce video signals. Um, you can get all kinds of crazy psychedelic, uh, stuff out of them. So that's, that's sort of, that was where a lot of my, my work was focused was on, on video modules um and sorry what was the other part of there's like another half to this question that I, <laughs> that I forgot. oh yeah uh your editing skills so the... oh yeah the editing right yeah right so um yeah i mean i definitely learned um i learned audio editing stuff at school like pro tools and you know various other digital audio workstations and uh and i've i was i've always been sort of half video artist how I got into the video module stuff. So, um, I have, a, I, I never took like a video editing class or anything. I mostly self-taught in that, in that regard. But, um, one of the things school definitely gave me was an ability to, um, learn pretty much any piece of like creative software really quickly. Cause they all, they all kind of share the same basic principles, you know? Um, and, uh, initiation was made, almost entirely in Premiere with a little bit of After Effects. And uh, I had, I'm sort of new to Premiere. I used to be a Final Cut person. And so part of this project was I wanted to get, I wanted to get better in Premiere and really see like how far I could kind of push it. And so a lot of that was about learning how to do um, like automation in it, you know, to like sort of to do more sophisticated animation and there's actually a fair, 
you can do a fair amount of that in Premiere without having to like bust over into After Effects. Uh, and it sort of became a weird constraint where I was like, okay, I just want to see like how much can I squeeze purely out of Premiere <laughs> and then only go into After Effects for the stuff that really, really requires it. So there's only one or two shots in there that were like After Effects based. Most of it is, is Premiere, yeah. And then what about, I know initially when a lot of people first start creating synchromistic works, they're a little nervous about letting that bleed over into their normal life just because it seems yeah. so, so strange. I wonder if you, and so in the early days, a lot of us had aliases where because yeah, it, was, it right. was taking place on blogs, it was almost like this superhero identity where... Uh-huh. We wanted to create stuff and say these things out loud, but we didn't necessarily want to share it with the people that you know we interact with on a daily basis and in reality because it seems so crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I am still in the middle of kind of <laughs> making up my mind about that. You know, I, I haven't tied it back to my other community, which is already a community that's. You know, it's mostly artists and intellectuals and uh, people I met in school and stuff like that. So I know that some of those people would be receptive to this. And amongst my sort of inner circle of friends or whatever, everybody knows what I'm working on. And um, I, you know, I was very vocal with people while I was making the film, sort of showing them bits and pieces of it. But that was definitely a a um, a contained sort of semi-secret thing. Like I haven't, I haven't posted initi- initiation on my Facebook page, for instance. I might do that eventually. Um, in a sense, I don't have a tremendous amount to lose. You know, I'm, I'm not in a profession or something where, where that sort of, where reputation is all that Im- important. You know, I'm already in a total weirdo thing, designing video synthesis modules. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a concern because I, because I know I'm acutely aware of how this looks. You know, I was, I was raised by psychologists. So I have got that perspective, like locked in of, uh, and, and I was very, I was worried about it myself. You know, like when I first started falling into this, I was like, yeah, this really, you know, there are certain things that really make you say, wow, I might be developing some kind of a mental illness. Uh, of course, that that sort of gets cleared up eventually. Seems like as you, if you can sort of find a way through it and learn to be comfortable with, with this kind of information dump. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, I, you know, I have a grand total of two comments from people I don't know about initiation. One of them is from Four Chan and simply read autism. Period. And the other one was from Reddit, which was uh, just like, what question mark? So that's about the level of, you know, uh, it, and also I would say I was deliberately though, I was deliberately trying to cultivate a quasi schizoid aesthetic for it. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm attracted to that, I guess. I'm, I'm attracted to, uh, gaudiness accelerated to the point of psychosis or, or some kind of divine madness or something, you know, that's, that's like the sweet spot 
for me with art. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I hope, I hope I can integrate it all into a nice open life. You know, it, it sort of sucks to feel like you're, that you have to hide some really important part of yourself. And, and my artwork has always been an important part of myself, but think is, think is like, you know, it's like something that detonated in my life, basically. It's like a major thing. But I don't think I'm going to be able to completely hide it. It's going to work its way out. And so the 23 minutes that you made this video, was that the amount of time it took to tell the story? Or was that a a kind of a a structure that you forced yourself into? Sometimes people want, like, they compose. A little of both. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I gave myself the explicit goal of making something less than 20 minutes. I didn't quite hit it, but... um, and, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to be really ruthless about meeting it. It's just that I, I wanted to see how concise, how concisely I could weave those threads together. And also I just wanted to focus on, you know, the stuff that's in the film is not, um, it's not even necessarily the most mind blowing stuff because the, the most mind blowing stuff really is subtle, you know, it, and it, it involves, um, it involves looking at the thing from multiple scales, right? Because it's about how the details and the larger organizational patterns are, are harmonically aligning or, or resonating somehow. And that's hard to get across in a, the 20 minute film. So, so what ended up happening was I just focused on the stuff that was really, that hits really viscerally. Um, and so some of these like really clear, like, and just totally weird, like numerological correspondences and things. But there's a lot more to say about, about Indiana Jones. <laughs> and, uh, um, and that's also partially why I still feel like I need to write something. Because what writing can do is it, it can laser focus in on these details and really um, un, un, unpack them so that you can sort of start to put together this, these like bigger aggregate views. Is there a way Um, to describe your video to? Yeah, um, maybe. Uh, Well, I guess the first thing I would say is it is a um, radical recontextualization of the Indiana Jones mythos. (laughs) Uh, I I kind of view Indiana as like this kind of solar god-like figure, but but an interestingly tragic one because he sort of stands at this intersection or at the beginning of a transition back into a magical or an enchanted world, right? If, if, you, look at, if you look at the trajectory of the, of the Indiana Jones story, in every film, he's like, you know, he's a respectable archaeologist, he works at the university or whatever, and then there's this call to go on a quest where he discovers that there's real magic in the world, right? That happens in basically all four Films. It's actually kind of funny because in each film he, like, sort of resets. It's like he has this profound encounter with the divine or with, with magic or with you know whatever, and then by the next movie he's completely forgotten about it and he's really skeptical about everything again. So he's kind of trapped in this like cycle. He like clearly like desires <laughs> like a magical experience, but can't quite seem to stay there because he's rooted in the solar 
culture. And, uh, and so I, I would say that a lot of what my film is doing is just trying to offer that perspective or, or un- unpack that, that aspect of, of Indiana Jones, which as far as I know, no one has really said anything about, even though, even though it seems quite, it's sort of right there on the, on the surface in a way, it's not even a very deep analysis. It's just, that's what the story is. It's this, it's this guy who has these weird interactions with magical forces. <laughs> um, but then there's also this thread of these like weird nine 11 synchronicities. And that, that sort of comes out of a, I was actually thinking the other day about how, how closely sync follows the union project. Like if you, if you really know your Jung, it, everything in sync is like, it's pretty predictable almost because you already have in Jung an interest in transcontextual research. In his case, it was like sort of comparative religion or something, right? Looking at all these different uh, wisdom traditions and mythologies and different pantheons and trying to see what was common about them. But it also has this precognitive element in there already from the, from the beginning. I think there's, there's sort of a misconception about him that like he was like a theorist who sat down and, you know, manipulated logical symbols or, or did some kind of left brain thing and then developed these theories. But actually this was a guy who had really profound personal experiences of mystical states and visions. And one of the, one of the things was he felt that he had precognitively apprehended the coming of world war one. He had these, dreams that he interpreted as, as, as predicting that. And so transcontextuality, the unconscious precognition, um, and synchronicity are all, all already related and constellated there in the union system. And so it's sort of like, if we think that there can be dreams that have, that are precognitive somehow, you know, it's like what are films, right? If not the the collective dream of the of the collective consciousness, perhaps some of those have precognitive elements. So, if you, so a lot of my practice is just about doing a very basic, like Jungian symbolic analysis of films, treating them as if they're dreams, basically, and that always yields something interesting. But in certain unique cases you find this kind of specific content. And, and so in the Indiana Jones trilogy starts, to, you know, through that lens, it starts to seem like one giant precognitive dream about 9-11 and this sort of spiritual crisis of the West or something. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. <laughs> You've been listening to Jordan Barty on 42 Minutes of Production of SyncBook Radio on thesyncbook.com. We'll link to all his pertinent information in the show notes. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and charity never fails.